Hello, my name is Rob Edwards, and this, it's my podcast. I'm dancing, I'm dancing, there's music, it's cool. Uh, hi guys, welcome back, October, fantastic month, very excited by October, as I will go into in far more detail than you probably wanted to hear shortly. Uh, but we are back for another episode of Storycast Rob, and another chapter of Rit in Blood and Silver coming up for you very soon now. But first, the news. October, it turns out, is a very exciting month in the life of Storycast Rob. Uh, October this year sees the launch of two science fiction anthologies, science fiction and fantasy anthologies technically, uh, with short stories uh, by me in them. Turns out science fiction anthologies are like cliches. You wait for one for ages and then two come along at once. Uh, the two anthologies in question, I feel like I've been talking about them for months. I've been promising them for months, and typically they have both arrived more or less at the same time. Uh, Tales from the Underground is Inkling Press's sixth anthology uh, and features 12 stories uh, of uh, science fiction, fantasy, a little bit of horror-ish in there as well, all themed around the setting of the underground. Uh, there are some brilliant stories in there. Uh, and mine. Uh, mine is, in fact, the Lords of Negative Space, and long-term listeners may recognise that name because it originally began life uh, as an episode of this podcast. Uh, you can go and find it, you can go and listen to it. Uh, it's episode five, I think, of Storycast. Rob, if you want to go hear that, uh, go listen to it there. I'm very excited about Tales from the Underground. I did a lot of work on it behind the scenes. Um, with the other Inklings as well, of course. Uh, I'm super excited that the anthology has a story by my dad in it, so that's a, an exciting Storycast Rob kind of element. Uh, and generally speaking, it is a very good book, and I recommend it to all of my listeners, and not just because it's got a story from me in it. You can find it on Amazon. Just search for Tales from the Underground, or you can... Uh, check my twitter at storycast rob or my blog for links to it as well or if you don't mind just copy typing uh, you can use the general url mybook.2 slash uground that's 2to uh, and that's a universal link which will get you to the local amazon site for you uh, so that you can buy a copy of our book available in kindle and paperback format right now and i strongly urge everyone to go give it a try it's brilliant uh, so that was october 6th that launched uh, october 19th which as time of recording is just over a week from now uh, sees the launch of the quantum soul a science fiction anthology uh, from the science fiction round table and again i've mentioned this story many many times uh, over the last few months it's taken ages to get here but it is finally here and you better get your hands on a copy of that uh, october the 19th again it's a kindle format it'll be in paperback get it from amazon uh, and there are 16 stories in that uh, from different writers uh, from the Science Fiction Roundtable. is a Facebook group of like-minded authors. And again, a very good read. Lots of good stuff in there. Lots of stories from other Inklings. If you're a fan of Inklings, uh, it's definitely worth picking up uh, The Quantum Soul as well. And now, unfortunately, the, uh, the contract for that one uh, means I can't read a copy uh, of that story to the... Um, 
to the podcast, uh, but I am going to cheat a little bit, and I'm just going to drop in a couple of minutes of the start of that story into the podcast now. So have a listen, uh, and we'll get to Written Blood and Silver on the other side of this. Shepherd of Memory by Rob Edwards My name is Dr. James Wilson. I'm a mission specialist for the GSA, and I am the first human being to have contact with a sentient alien life form. I just don't always remember it. And where do you go from there? It's a bit late to start Dear Diary after that. Ah, hell with I didn't want to write a journal anyway. So, apparently that's not an option. My counsellor, the devil in a bright blue suit, insists on it. I need to express how the experience made me feel. I should be frank, open and comprehensive. Also, I can process an emotional response to it. The thing is, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to find out if I remember it right. That's the worst bit. Sometimes it's it's, it's clear as snow melt. Other times it's like... Like I remember talking about it, but have no memory of of the thing I'm talking about. Does that make sense? The counsellor insisted it would help, though, so... I remember landing on Philop, uh, Phi Lima Upsilon, I should say. It's the normal kind of memory, the kind that's fuzzy around the edges and built of memories of remembering it, coupled with the many times I've reviewed the mission logs. Normal... Safe memories. Mission EX-420, Planet Fall, June 16th, 2238. Crew of four, myself, Julia Minakova, Toby Mbataku, Captain Gabby Lopez commanding. We deviated from the LZ by 4.02 clicks at the recommendation of Mission Specialist Mbataku, geoplats indicating more favourable terrain and access to water table. Captain Lopez greenlit the alternate and we deployed HABs per protocol. By 1400 actual we... Not like that. Fine. Frank, open and comprehensive. To get the rest of that story, to find out why Dr. Wilson has problems remembering his encounter with a sentient alien life form, pick up the Quantum Soul when it comes available October the 19th. Uh, again, links to that on my website, on my blog, uh, or you can uh, type mybook.2 slash quantum soul to get it as well. And finally, not so much a news item as a reminder item, I think I talked about this last month, uh, that my mate Brent A. Harris has his book, A Time of Need, available now uh, from Insomnia Publishing. Uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's an alternate history story that looks at George Washington fighting uh, for the British uh, rather than the Americans. So that's your reading list for me. Uh, you can pick up uh, uh, A Time of Need, Brent's book, uh, now, and Tales from the Underground is also available right now. Strongly recommend them both. And Quantum Soul is just a week away. So look forward to that as well. But now it's time for the reason that we're all here. It's time for me to say, previously on Writ in Blood and Silver. Dun 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 dun
the 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 jingle just isn't going anywhere. Basically, Matt Chambers, a computer programmer in 1999 London, has been having all sorts of problems with demons on the London Underground. He is assisted in this particular travail by Arthur Wessex, a cursed wizard, and by Broden, a 3,000-year-old man from Atlantis. When we last left Matt, he was confronting a new type of demon on the London Underground, uh, one who is staring with fiery eyes right into Matt's very soul. And now, the continuation. Chapter 9. When the Pupil is Ready the tube train jerked to a halt, and the screaming stopped as the sea of people all swayed forwards into each other. There wasn't room to fall down, but each person standing fell into the person next to them, crushing, jostling all elbows and apologies. Matt's head cleared, and he looked towards the creature. With normal sight, she seemed unremarkable, a middle-aged businesswoman in an unremarkable business suit. Only her furious scowl as she elbowed herself upright again marked her out. That and her eyes, which glinted with the colour of the magic she had stolen. She locked gaze with Matt and hissed. Can you move down, please? she said. Even as she spoke, the driver's voice came over the speakers again. Um, yeah, sorry for the sudden stop there, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it was caused by the wrong kind of foot on the brake. Around him. Matt sensed the mood change. People had been frightened moments before by something they hadn't understood, couldn't quite process. But now they had an explanation for that stab of fear, the wrong one. But Broden said people tended to find the safest explanation in lieu of the correct one. Someone laughed, a sound disproportionately loud for the quality of the driver's joke, but it seemed to signal everyone in the carriage that things were back to normal and a sudden hubbub of noise erupted. That gave me such a fright. I'm sorry, did I hurt you? Well, that woke me up anyway. It all but drowned out the sound of the creature, but Matt could just make her out. Can you move down, please? She seemed to have forgotten about Matt completely. Instead, her eyes darted from face to face, casting about, looking for something. She looked angry and, yes, sulky like a child who doesn't understand why her favourite toy has been taken away from her. The driver's voice came over the speaker again. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there were some kids throwing things at the trains from a bridge, but I'm told they're gone now, so we can carry on to Stratford. Still, we don't want them to notice us and come back, so you might want to hold your breath until we get past. From the passengers, this raised a few chuckles and tuts. But from the creature, the reaction was quite different. Her eyes flicked to the speaker and then locked forwards, staring in the direction of the driver's cabin. "'Can you move down, please?' she said again. And the person beside her pressed to one side, letting her move forwards down the train. As she passed, he stepped back into the space again. Matt watched her progress slowly but steadily down the carriage, heading for the front." She's forgotten about me, Matt realised. But then, other than see her, what did I do to her? The driver is the one who broke the spell she'd created. He's the one she'll take it out on. Matt tried to follow, but the wall of commuters that had parted so easily for her wouldn't budge for Matt. She was so far down the carriage now, he couldn't even see her. Only the ripple in the crowd that formed her wake. 
Matt stood on tiptoes and craned around, trying to check its progress. The ripple reached the front of the carriage and, although the door never opened, seemed to pass through into the next carriage along. Matt looked frantically for something, anything that would help. I can't let the... the... what are these things called? They're different from the Aberdeck. Fine, okay. I can't let the move-down lady reach the driver. The train went through a short tunnel, signalled that Stratford was just ahead. Matt pushed his way to the door, ignoring the grumbling behind him. He didn't even wait for the doors to fully open, but instead pulled himself out through the door and elbowed his way through the crowd clustered on the platform. He pushed his way through, concentrating furiously, trying to regain the calm required to see magic. He needed to know how far the move-down lady had gotten. Had she reached the driver yet? Someone on the platform pushed back as Matt waded against the flow, and Matt staggered, hand out, falling against the buildings between platforms. His hand slapped painfully against the wall to break his fall. The wall was cold in the morning air, smooth tiles underneath his fingers. The distraction helped him, though. As soon as he stopped trying so hard to focus, his vision snapped, and with a blink, magic swam visibly around him again. The demon was two carriages from the front, a dark void in the flows, pulling in light from around her, visible even through the metal of the train. Matt still had time to reach her. Maybe. He pushed himself from the wall again and ran along the platform. The crowd had thinned a little and his progress was quicker, but not quick enough. Either the demon would reach the driver before Matt could reach her, or worse, it was only a matter of time before the doors closed again and the train moved off. He needed to get the move-down lady's attention. He knew one way to get someone's attention with magic. He'd seen Sparkly Jane from marketing do it unconsciously. Could he replicate the feat deliberately? And would it be enough? There was only one way to find out. I'm looking forward to working with you, Matt muttered, trying to channel his inner marketing person. Dimly, Matt thought he heard Jane from marketing's sparkly little laugh somewhere in the distance. His own magic flexed. This wasn't anything Pete or Broden had shown him. This was different, a direct application of the flow of energy. It sparkled around him, just as Jane's aura had, and Matt gestured, sending a burst of the sparkling field in a straight line toward the void of the move-down lady. The void stopped moving forwards, and Matt felt the line snap taut. Gotcha, he said, and exerted just a little will down the sparkling thread of the magic between them. This wasn't mind control or anything sophisticated. This was a lure. Matt was providing a more interesting, stronger source of the creature's food. The void began to move again, but this time no longer towards the driver of the train, but out of the carriage and towards Matt. The doors closed as the move-down lady stepped through them, and as she stalked towards Matt, the train, and therefore its driver, moved away to safety. Well, that's one person rescued, Matt thought. Now what about me? He could hide, find some corner and shut down his magic completely. There was a good chance that if she couldn't see Matt or find him magically, she would lose him. But that would leave an angry demon looking for some fresh victim to take her frustration out on. Now he'd taken responsibility for her like this. Matt couldn't let her get away. Three lessons from Broden, four from Pete. I guess this is where we find out if I learned anything yet.
The demon stalked down the platform, staring at Matt, a predator's stare. "'Can you move down, please?' she said. "'Well, sure, if it helps,' Matt said, and did so, backing up and crossing over. He left the still-busy underground platform to the relatively empty overground network. "'Why so quiet, anyway? You were pretty chatty before you got on the train. How come it's suddenly just, "'Can you move down, please?' The demon made a throwing motion, and a ball of magical energy soared between them. Instinctively, Matt released his hold on the sparkling line that joined them, and sent his attention to the demon's projectile. Push, Matt thought. Broden, lesson three. His mind slid from the projectile, skimming across its surface, nudging it, but not enough. Push, he thought again, forcing his own magic against the projectile again. To his relief, this time it worked, and the demon's attack spiralled off. Matt concentrated and nudged it again, directing its flight harmlessly into the ground. The demon's expression changed slightly, and she nodded at Matt. "'Can you move down, please?' she said, but Matt thought he heard a flicker of respect in the voice. That, and maybe just a touch of eagerness. "'Now I've really got your attention, eh?' Matt said. He flicked his gaze backwards, and his confidence faltered. Not much platform left now. No buildings to hide behind here, either. Just shelters made of tubing and glass. Worse, he thought he heard a train coming. What platform there was, was going to fill rapidly. "'Can you move down, please?' She said again, and made a wide, beckoning gesture with both arms, pulling the world towards her. She flickered in Matt's sight again, fading to the inky blackness of a void. Matt staggered one step forward against his will, buffeted by a strong wind. No, not a wind. It didn't ruffle his hair, didn't pick at his clothes. This was a wind which dragged at his self, the core of his being. He gulped against sudden nausea, and despite himself, took another step towards her. Again she called, "'Can you move down, please?' And again Matt was pulled towards her. He dug in his heels, grabbed for anything to hold him, but it wasn't working, wasn't stopping his slide towards her, each step pulling him inexorably onwards. He could make out her features now, despite the darkness of her, could see those glowing eyes that seemed to match the colour of Matt's magic exactly. The mouth underneath was not human, too many rows of pointed teeth, a forked tongue flicked across her cracked lips. Matt's fingers closed around the edge of one of the shelters. He tried to grab to hold to keep himself back, but his hand wouldn't close, there was no strength in his grip, and the shelter slipped away from him. Or rather, of course, he slipped away from it. The demon was chanting its phrase now, repeating it again and again as Matt staggered and twisted, resisting but not enough. The few commuters on the platform ignored his jerky progress, checked their watches instead, checked the departures monitor, watched as the train pulled in. Matt realised he was caught in the demon's spell in more ways than one. I'm going to die in a crowd and nobody will even see me he realised. He couldn't stop advancing, try as he might. He sent a few bursts of energy towards her, hoping to distract her, sting her, get her to loosen her grip, but it was pointless. She seemed to just drink in his power. It was her role, after all. 
The only effect he saw was that the colour of her eyes deepened slightly. The flames there burned a little brighter. The train pulled in. The doors opened. A few people began to file off. Matt reached towards the train. Perhaps he could turn that way, escape, if the train pulled away with him on it. But he couldn't move that way either. In desperation, he grabbed for a commuter, not wanting to get anyone else involved, but not having a choice. But the young man just swatted at him, as though there was a fly he was annoyed by, and somehow it was enough to deflect Matt. One step. Another. Three more steps, Matt guessed, and he'd be close enough for the demon to touch. What happened then, he didn't want to imagine, but it was unlikely to be good. He sent another burst of his own energy, this time trying to curve it around behind her. Perhaps her defences were only at the front. But no, all that happened again was the demon's eyes glowed a little brighter still. Well, no choice now, he thought. Sorry, Pete, I promised to keep this secret unless it was life and death, but I think it is. He was pulled forward another step, and he tried to find the place inside him that let him shut off his flow of magic. If she couldn't draw power from him, her grip would loosen, would have to, he hoped. But it wasn't easy. This was still not something he'd ever managed to do deliberately. And the fear and the buffeting and the terrible flaming eyes, he couldn't do it, couldn't concentrate, couldn't find that place inside him. All he could see were those eyes, a mirror to his own power. His own power. Suddenly, a desperate, ridiculous idea occurred to him. It couldn't work. Wouldn't work, surely. But at this point, he didn't see as if he had a choice. Matt opened himself fully to magic again, and with a final step towards her, he reached out to everyone else on the platform, everyone on the central line platform adjacent, everyone on the platform opposite, and he took a tiny spike of magic from each and every person, not enough to do them harm at all, not enough for them to notice beyond a few stifling a yawn. Matt grabbed each and every one of those spikes and threw them at the demon. Tiny little gnats of magical strikes, not enough individually to hurt anyone, and even combined, not much more than a stinging slap. But the move-down lady was so focused on Matt's magic, so intent on the taste of his power, she hadn't any barriers to anyone else's. As each tiny bite struck her, she convulsed, twisted in pain. Matt drew on them again and again, careful to take only a sip, never enough to draw the demon's attention to any one other passerby. And the demon's grasp on him vanished. Matt staggered backwards as the pressure was released, fell backwards and through the open door of the train, his concentration splintered and all the darts of power he'd held slipped through his fingers. Matt gasped in relief at the release, at the sudden absence of pressure, but as he looked back on the platform, his relief was only temporary. The demon was standing again, hurt by his attack, but not weakened and certainly not defeated. Rage painted her face, and she gestured once more. Her grip closed around him, just as the doors of the train began to close. Despite himself, he shuffled forward. Matt stared at the demon, all fight gone. He tried everything he could think of, and it wasn't enough. The doors closed, and the pull of the demon brought him up hard against them. He stared through the window of the door, expecting the creature to climb on board as she had on the central line. Instead, 
The creature was bent over double, clearly in pain herself. Mac couldn't understand what he was seeing in the magic around her, so he blinked, returning his sight to normal. To his normal vision, she seemed to be gasping for air. One hand reached out towards him, not in a grasping motion, but with body language that looked almost as though she was pleading. And then, just as she passed out of sight as the train pulled away, she simply imploded. There was no sound, not that he could hear on the train anyway, no great flash of light, no tremor or thunder. She simply ceased to exist. And how do I know that's not her teleporting somewhere else? I don't. But I know that's not what happened. She died. Was it me? Did I kill her? Not only didn't he want to know, he wasn't even sure how he felt about it. He'd come out this morning to take on Volnak's forces, and that's what he'd done. He'd succeeded, after a fashion. So why didn't he feel better about it? He sat slumped in the doorway on the train, head in hands, shaking in reaction to the fear, the relief. He wasn't sure which, but whichever, he couldn't control it. The train, it turned out, was straight through to Romford. He stayed where he was until it pulled in, then levered himself up. At a loss what else to do, he got off, walked down the stairs, then back up the ramp to the London-bound platform. He didn't get off at Stratford, but carried on to Liverpool Street. Switching reluctantly to the tube, he headed to work. He spent the time on the tube ride with his eyes closed, tuning out everything. He didn't want to... didn't want to notice anything. Sorry I'm late. Demon attack at Stratford. Actually, you're not late for once, said Paul. He seemed chirpy this morning, and Matt couldn't wait to be away from him. Right, Matt said. He'd forgotten he'd set out over an hour earlier than normal, so even the unplanned round trip to Romford hadn't delayed him. He wandered back to his desk, not really sure why he was there. He switched on his PC, logged on and opened his mail. He stared through his screen for a while, until it was time for lunch. Out of habit, he went out for lunch, not hungry, but not wanting to stay at his desk any longer. Broden was waiting outside for him. Wessex said you'd need to see me, lad. Yeah. Broden gave them a look. Come on, then. Wordlessly, they crossed into Hyde Park. Broden led them back to the patch of bare earth where they practised. You're quiet, lad, said Broden after a long pause. Are you ready for a lesson? Yeah. No. Broden tilted his head to one side and stared at him a little longer. You've been in a fight. It wasn't a question. A bad one. But you were victorious. You should be glad. Matt turned away. Really? Really? I should be glad? Right, OK. Glad me. Let's fight some more. Huzzah! He drew a deep breath. I can't get the hang of this, Broden. Not one bit. Every time I think I'm getting there, there's always a nasty surprise waiting. Hell, I can't even decide how to react to most of it. I feel like I've spent the last six months swinging wildly between confusion, excitement, and bloody terrified. I'm beginning to worry that... 
I can't remember what my life is supposed to look like because every day I'm in your world. I feel like I connect to mine less and less. I had a simple life then, a job that I didn't hate that paid my bills, friends, girlfriend, a few money worries, but no more than anyone else. Now I find myself wondering if I'll even bloody survive a commute to a job I've never felt less connected to. My circle of friends has vanished, in some cases literally, and the only people I talk to are two wizards and the man from Atlantis. And last night I failed to spend time at home with Kate because I was off learning to be a wizard too. It would be a bloody joke if my life wasn't actually in danger. He took a deep breath, then turned back to face Broden. The old warrior's expression was blank, not judging, but not sympathising either. Matt nodded sharply. Okay then, Broden. I want this over. And if the only way we can get this over is for me to be better at this crap, then let's get going. Teach me. I want it all. Tell me how we're going to defeat Volnark so we can bloody get on with it. Very well, said Broden. Today we shall move on to some more advanced attack forms. No! No, Broden. You weren't listening. I want to know how we're going to kill Volnark. The stuff you've been showing me, it's all... It's all useless against Volnark, isn't it? Well, isn't it? Pete said to me last night, I'm not beating Volnark with any of this crap. Broden nodded slowly. You're right, lad. And so is... So is Pete. But you can't beat Volnark that way. We don't know for certain that I can, either. The last time we fought, I banished him beyond at the cost of my own life and my entire kingdom a Pyrrhic victory long before King Pyrrhus was even born. No, it's not about you fighting Volnark. But you and I both know he has minions, lad. If I am taking on their master, you will have to be able to hold your own. If I can beat Volnark, I'll need no distractions. I can't protect you and win. Right. Fine. I'll take that, then. Tell me how to kill the minions. Broden paused. He looked down. Didn't meet Matt's gaze. Very well. Let us recap the weak points of the Abadak. Then we should discuss some of his other creatures. And as Matt doubles down on his training to fight the forces of Demon Volnark, uh, we will draw a veil over proceedings uh, for another chapter. Uh, chapter 10, which I think is called Going South, if I remember correctly, uh, looks at some of the side effects that Matt is beginning to suffer as a result of his dabbling with magic. Uh, and we'll see that. Uh, hopefully, I think I can't think of a reason why it wouldn't be the first week of November. Uh, I think we should be back on track now. Uh, so look for that then. Uh, it's actually been quite an exciting uh, month, this last month for the podcast. Uh, in September, I ran uh, a Facebook ad. I don't know if you know, I don't know if anyone here saw it uh, for Storycast Rob, and it resulted in me hitting my monthly bandwidth uh, for my website. Uh, so hopefully you didn't uh, you didn't try and come visit and then find you couldn't. Uh, but we're back on track now. Everything should be ticking over quite nicely again. Uh, just so you know, there are three more chapters of Written Blood and Silver coming on the podcast episodes, uh, chapters ten, eleven, and twelve. Uh, and then in the new year, uh, as I think I've talked about a couple of times before that, uh, the end of the book will be available, the whole book will be available in Kindle and 
uh, paperback formats, hopefully, uh, sometime yeah, early next year. I'm not going to commit to a month, uh, certainly not a date for that yet, because delays do happen in these things. Uh, but I'm very excited. Uh, Ricardo at, uh, at Inklings Press uh, has done me a cover, uh, and Inklings Press have agreed uh, to uh, pr- uh, to publish uh, written blood and silver, which I'm very very excited about, and they can't take it back now. I've said it on the internet; it has to be true. Good. Um, so there we go. That's an, uh, another end for another episode of Storycast, Rob. Uh, if you want to have a look at the cover, by the way, you can go and see it on my blog. Uh, I've put various articles about me and my writing on there. www.storycastrob.co.uk/wp uh, powered by WordPress, uh, not sponsored. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at StoryCastRob. Uh, you can uh, check on Facebook, facebook.com slash StoryCastRob. And my Amazon page has also got slash StoryCastRob in it as well, uh, if you want to keep track of all my published works too. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time. Cheers. Cheers.